Local knowledge is presented by Avis. Everyone knows that nothing beats a great drive. Well, yeah, that sort of drive, but also this one too. At Avis, we understand both. And that's why we're excited to get you behind the wheel and out into the world doing the things you love. So book your car rental at Avis for your next golf adventure. Because we know that whether you're on the road or on the tee, nothing beats a great drive. Avis, the official rental car of the PGA Tour. It was awesome. I mean, you're completely right. It completely changed. I mean, my life changed overnight. <laughs> Almost every PGA Tour player has had one of these overnight life changes. More often than not, it happens when they secure a PGA Tour card. Of course, there are the Colin Morikawas of the world, the Jordan Spieths, the John Roms, the can't-miss kids who didn't miss. They left school, and they almost immediately became household names. But for most guys, getting that coveted tour card is the culmination of a multi-year journey across the unglamorous landscape of professional golf. Through the mini-tours, where money is tight. Through Monday qualifiers, where margin of error is non-existent. Through Q School, where the pressure is crushing and through the Corn Ferry Tour, where the competition is fierce. And then you get your card and you've reached the pinnacle of your sport. It's what you've been dreaming of since you were a kid. Playing in front of a jam-packed grandstand. There's TV cameras everywhere, tigers in the group behind you. The purse you're playing for is a gazillion dollars. Somewhere along the way, you have the oh shit moment where you're like, holy hell, I'm on the PGA Tour. We're going to hear from a bunch of PGA Tour players about their moment when they realized they'd made it. Of course, there's a temptation to drink it all in, to stop and appreciate that you've accomplished what you've set out to do for your entire life. Only, there's no time to do that because as soon as you make it to the PGA Tour, you've got to figure out how to play on the PGA Tour. Your attention turns to getting ready to battle the best players in the world who've been doing this for years and who want to beat your brains in. Here's Matt Neesmith walking us through that quick transition. The next morning comes, all right, you have orientation in two weeks. And I had a, that was going to be my bachelor party was going to be that week. So I had to cancel my bachelor party for my wedding to go to orientation for the PGA Tour, which was the greatest way to cancel a bachelor party. And while rookies in other sports get guaranteed contracts, which means time to learn the ropes and get comfortable with your surroundings, the PGA Tour hires and fires a bunch of people after every single season. If you take your foot off the gas, your time there will be awfully short. This week's Wyndham Championship is the last event of the PGA Tour's regular season. And for some guys, it's the last event they'll ever play as a fully exempt member of the PGA Tour. I'm Dan Rappaport and this is Local Knowledge, the Golf Digest podcast that takes a deep dive into the most compelling stories in the world of golf. Today's episode will focus on what life is like as a PGA Tour rookie. It's kind of a strange time to do this episode because right now there aren't many rookies. The vast majority of PGA Tour players come up through the Corn Ferry Tour these days, at least since Q School stopped offering a direct path to the PGA Tour in 2012. As a response to the pandemic, the Corn Ferry Tour combined its 2020 and 2021 campaigns into one super season. In normal years, the Corn Ferry Tour regular season wraps up in August, and the top 25 guys in the points race clinch their PGA Tour cards. 
and then even more get their cards in the three-event Corn Fairy Tour Finals, which feature the top 75 players on the Corn Fairy Tour and numbers 126 to 200 in the FedEx Cup standings on the PGA Tour. Last year, there were no promotions, so this year, there were no rookies from the Corn Fairy Tour. There are, however, a couple other ways a guy can get a tour card. The first is through what's called non-member points. If a guy who doesn't have a card plays in a bunch of events through his world ranking or Monday qualifiers or sponsors exemptions, and he does well enough that he would have finished in the top 125 of the FedEx Cup if he was a member, he gets a tour card for the following year. Will Gordon and Eric Van Royen got their cards for this year through that route, and that's how Will Zalatoris will become a full member next year. The other way to get a card is to just win a PGA Tour event, which Garrick Higo did at the Palmetto Championship in June. But again, the most common route is going through the Corn Ferry Tour, which is exactly what Matt Neesmith did. Where was the golf trip? Where was the golf trip? Uh, it was great. It was great. Took a couple buddies down to Bulls Bay and just took a little golf trip, get the mind off of practicing a little bit. And you still play for we, fun? Yeah, all the time. I'm a golf nerd, man. It's just a hobby. <laughs> it's a yeah. hobby and my job. If you're a casual, watch-on-Sunday type of PGA Tour fan, you've probably never heard of Matt Neesmith. He's got two top 10s this season. He's ranked number 177 in the world rankings and number 102 in the FedEx Cup standings. Last year was his rookie year on the PGA Tour, and he finished 100th in the FedEx Cup. Obviously, this isn't exactly Ryder Cup or player impact program level stuff, but Matt's now kept his card in each of his first two seasons on the PGA Tour. Uh, I, I kind of look at the first at least few years kind of like graduate school. I mean, give it give it four years or two and a, or three years or whatever to just kind of go through, give yourself some time to get accustomed and adjusted to everything. And that's kind of how my whole that's kind of how my whole golf game has kind of just been for my entire career. Just it's just taken me a while to get adjusted to pretty much everything. Matt's road to the PGA Tour has hardly been a straight line. After a dominant amateur career where he was AJGA Player of the Year and a first-team All-American at South Carolina, he turned pro in 2016 and landed a few endorsement deals, then went on to get absolutely pummeled on the Canadian Tour. In parts of two seasons up north, he missed more than half his cuts and made less than $10,000. He was two years out of school with nothing really to show for it. And still, he wasn't stressing. Then, finally, a breakthrough. Matt made it through all three stages of Q School in the fall of 2018 to earn his Corn Ferry Tour card. He played solid that season and qualified for the Corn Ferry Finals, which meant guaranteed status for the next year, which, for him at that moment, was a big victory. In all honesty, I, was, I wasn't thinking about... After, after my, my Canada debacles that I had had up there, I was I was really proud to prove it to myself that I could play on the Corn Ferry, that I had kept my card because I had never kept a card anywhere before. I'd never kept it in Canada, and then, I mean, many tours don't really those don't really count. But I had never kept a card anywhere. I was like, Hallelujah! I'm going to play on the Corn Ferry again next year. That's awesome. Except he wasn't going to play the Corn Ferry Tour the next year. In the second event of the final series, Matt played his way into contention at the Albertsons Boise Open. He was tied for the lead standing on the 18th tee. I was super nervous on, on 18 tee and I kind of pulled one. <laughs> I had this like low pull away in this left rough. And then I, then the whole goal was just hit the green. Cause I knew if I hit, if I hit the green, then I was probably going to the PJ tour. 
and then I hit it. At, I mean, I hit it the 15, 20 feet. And that, that was when all the nerves went away. All the nerves were gone. Like I, cause I don't really look at leaderboards too much or anything. I had no idea. I had no clue where anybody was at. Anything. I just knew that I was probably playing pretty good and I was going to get my PJ tour card if I just two putted. So I was trying to make that putt obviously, but I didn't know what it meant. Like I was just trying to hit a solid putt and do everything I could to just kind of make it easy. Wait, on so you're, you're, t- you're telling me you didn't know was to wait, like that you were winning the tournament. No chance. How, how, how is that possible? Like I, I, I'm, I, I'm, well, my caddy doesn't tell me one and two. Um, I consciously don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't really love looking at leaderboards that much. I think, I think it changes completely how you feel about anything. I knew I was playing good. I didn't, there, it wasn't going to change any way of how I played the golf hole. Like I was going to try to make that putt regardless. I was going to try and I was trying to hit the green. Are there leaderboards out there? I mean, it's almost, for a tournament that important in your life, I would think it's physically impossible. Not, I guess not physically impossible, but practically impossible to not at least look. I mean, that takes a crazy amount of self-control. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I've had plenty of weeks where I really, really struggle with it. Matt made that putt, and we're pleased to report he did eventually discover that he won the golf tournament. I saw Wade gave you a FaceTime call there coming off the 18th green. Who was that, and what was that moment like? It's my fiance. She's uh, She's been there for everything. Um, we're getting married November 1st. Uh, super excited about that. And, oh, it's been, uh, she's, she's done so much for me over the last few years. She's been there for everything. So I really, really appreciate it. That's who it was. Matt celebrated the victory that evening. There may have been a beer or two involved. The next morning, however, the work of figuring out how to be a PGA Tour player began. As Matt mentioned earlier, rookies go through an orientation, and it's actually not that different from college orientation or an orientation for your new job in that it lasts way too long, and it's basically a bunch of presentations that lay out the logistics of the gig, like how to sign up for tournaments, how you get paid, how to deal with media, all that stuff. Next comes figuring out your schedule, not just flights and where you're gonna stay, but what tournaments you're going to get into. Only a very select few, mainly the top 50 in the world rankings, get to handpick their schedules for the year because their priority numbers are so high. For the other guys, you just got to hope your priority number is high enough to get into some tournaments. Growing up, I was like, you get your PGA Tour card, you're in every event. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not like that at all. Right. Well, it's like the casual fan thinks of you either have your PGA Tour card or you don't, but there's a Correct. huge Oh, range. man, it's gigantic. And then the fall's huge. I mean, how you play in there. I had no, I, I had no clue about any of that stuff. It went from, I'm happy to keep my P, my corn fairy card to I'm playing on the PJ tour next year in a split second. If you're wondering how this all goes down, how a PJ tour player signs up for a tournament, the logistics, I was too. So I asked, how do you find out if you get into tournaments like logistically, like do they, is it an email or? No, no, there's this thing called PJ tour links where you commit to they have all these they have all these tournaments and you commit to them and um, commit to that meaning like you literally like click like yes commit yeah commit there's a there's a sign you get a commit and then you get a confirmation number and you get a uh, part of whether um whether you're in or not so it's like you're 142 out of 156 so you know going in that 
you're probably going to get in, but it may shuffle a little bit. And then there are times where you're like 158 out of 156. And you're on Monday, you're like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go because I guess I hope two people, well, you don't hope two people fall out or whatever, but you hope you get in. Now comes the hard part, but also for these guys, the comfortable part, playing golf. Courses on the PGA Tour are more penal, there's more people around, the money's way bigger. But at the end of the day, the rules are the same. It's another golf tournament. Matt's first event as a PGA Tour member was the Greenbrier, which used to be the first event of the wraparound season, but no longer exists. I had finally gotten a lot of confidence back from from. Canada and the Corn Ferry gave me a lot of confidence that I could I could do this on a really consistent level and make a lot of cuts and play some good golf and win a golf tournament. But I hadn't proved that on the PGA Tour yet. I'd played in six or seven events and never made a cut or even really come close to it. And that was kind of that was kind of eating at me a little bit. And uh, and I remember thinking I'm pretty good and I shot three under the first two rounds. I was in 31st walking off the golf course on in the morning. And I was one of the last groups in the morning. I missed the cut. You went from 31st after the morning wave to missing the cut. Yeah, I finished. I finished. I was like T68 or something. That's, that was the that was the afternoon that Kevin Chappell shot 59. 59 out there was no wind. It was in there. I remember like getting off the golf course, going, man, pump, playing the weekend for the first time. Like, this is going to be great. I got the monkey off my back. I can breathe. And then like, like going to have like a beer and have lunch and like looking at it going, oh, no. Like the, You're just, just tumbling down. Just, yeah, just tumbling down the leaderboard. Matt missed his first three cuts as a PGA Tour member, which in the non-Morikawa world is quite common. Struggling like this right out of the gates can eat at the soul. You're on the road, your expenses are piling up, and you're failing. Here's Rory McIlroy telling me about a particularly tough night on the road as a teenager. I don't think people remember, but my... My rookie year in Europe in a way, like I was close to not keeping my card. So, I'll, two stories. So you I remember were like 18 years old. 19. 18 years old on the road by yourself, loving it because it's independent and whatever. But um, I just missed a few cuts in a row, and I was in Korea, Jeju Island, playing the Ballantine Championship, and I missed the cut again. And like I had never, and so I was, I was struggling. I had never felt so far from home and so lonely. And Were you I by yourself? By myself. I remember going back to my hotel room, sitting at the end of the bed, crying. And I raided the mini bar, like not the not the drinks, but like the you like were, you food. Were, you were legal in the no, no, but no, 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 no. But it was like Pringles, Coke, Toblerone, M and just pure like comfort chips. And I remember just having this like complete meltdown. Okay, this has all been a bit negative, hasn't it? We're talking about guys fulfilling lifelong dreams out here, and I'm focused on the logistical hurdles and hotel room meltdowns. Fair enough. Let's move to the fun stuff, then. Here's Rory again, and let's pause right now to acknowledge just how ridiculous these guys' memories are. It's so funny. This is how quick things can change in golf. So that was in, like, April of 2008. Fast forward, like, six months to October 08 and I'm playing the Singapore Open and I'm playing with Ernie Els in the third round and we're in like the second to last group and I remember he hit driver 
off the first tee. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I'm playing with Ernie Els. I, he hit driver off the first tee and I hit my three wood past his driver. Flex. I was like, oh yeah, this is really cool. Perfect. It's funny to think about stars being starstruck, but everyone was a nobody at some point. In 10 years, help probably five, there'll be Rory in the role of Ernie Els there, the elder statesman that the young guy grew up watching and can't believe he's playing with. It's even cooler when those guys voluntarily come up to talk to you. Here's Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I would say the first time that I felt like, wow, this is kind of like a big deal it's to like me was, time, yeah. was uh, I came back from the French Open. I didn't have my card. I was like, it was 2014. So and you I was, were like 18 or 19? Yeah, I think I was 19. And I was just sat in uh, or stood and waiting for, for my bags. Um, just chatting casually to Gray McDowell and Simon Dyson. And that was like, for me at the time, that was like a really big deal. So That's that kind of took me back a little bit and I was like, wow, it's, it's like, it's pretty cool. Like these guys knew who you were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Talking to Graham McDowell and Simon Dyson is cool, I suppose. But what's really cool is rubbing shoulders with Tiger Woods. Every player on the PGA Tour, every single one, remembers their first Tiger interaction. He's most of their idols, the reason they play golf, the reason they're playing for so much money. The first time you realize your hero is now your competitor is impossible to forget. Here's Joel Damon. Yeah, so for me, I actually didn't play in the event. I was, uh, it was Torrey Pines in my rookie year. I was first alternate. And I was on the range putting green Wednesday morning. Um, I think I was two out, the first guy got in, but I'm, I like drop balls on the putting green. Yeah. And Tiger Woods puts to my hole. Because at first, I only played two in the fall. So I played Sanderson Farms, RSM, so no one real big there. And then Palm Springs, no one's really there. So right. I go to San Diego. And that's kind of when the big boys come out. Mm -hmm. And hoping I get in, but knowing I'm probably not going to. And all of a sudden, I look up, a ball rolls, like by my cup. And it says Tiger on it. And I'm like... So you saw the ball before yeah, you saw it? Yeah, and I was like, oh, shit. So that was kind of my, like... And then, uh, so I followed him out. He played with him and Jason Day and somebody else, and I followed them, maybe DJ. And I followed him out to the first tee. I watched him tee off on the first tee. The amount of people around, the, uh, you know, just the whole thing, you know, everything, the aura of the whole thing, the electricity in the air, like that was to me, I was like, oh shit, I'm on the PJ Tour now. As Joel mentioned, everything feels bigger when Tiger's around, but if you're coming from the Corn Ferry Tour, it feels bigger even when Tiger's not around. One of the biggest differences between the minor leagues and the PGA Tour is the amount of media around. At a Corn Ferry event, there'll be a few TV cameras to catch the leaders and a couple local reporters. At a PGA Tour event, it's a little different. Here's Victor Hovland in an interview with Golfing World from his rookie year. I've looked forward to it all my life growing up and it's been kind of crazy to get adjusted to all the things that goes on off the course because it's not like you just show up, play 18 holes, practice and then get out of there. There's so many obligations to do and, and uh, so many people around that you kind of, it's, it's not an inconvenience but it's just you have to get used to kind of the noise around the tournaments and, and figure kind of your routines out. So it's been a little hectic but I'm loving it so far. You also have to mind your P's and Q's because there are a whole lot of cameras around. Peter Malnati learned this one the hard way. 
you know, one thing I remember that was really funny is I, uh, in Hawaii at the Sony Open, I, I tossed a ball to my caddy, and he was one of my friends I'd played mini, mini tours with, and he wasn't looking when I tossed the ball. I wasn't looking, obviously, because I didn't know he wasn't looking, and it hit him square in the head, and that was my first, probably my first PGA Tour moment that got captured on TV and, and, and broadcast, was me tossing my ball and hitting my caddy in the head. Not, not stiff in an eight iron. No, but. exactly. Um, so that, that, that is a memory that I do have from my rookie year. With all the media coverage comes a loss of anonymity, at least to some extent. Now, your middle-of-the-road PGA Tour player is not getting recognized walking down the street, but he might get recognized walking down the range at a local golf course, or when he's at a party with a Hall of Fame basketball player. Just ask Harris English, who isn't a middle-of-the-road player now, but he wasn't nearly as well-known when he was a rookie at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. They're nice enough to give me an exemption. I remember going to like a little Monday pro-am party and uh, meeting Charles Barkley. He actually knew he actually knew who I was. He knew I was, you were I was shocked. Damn, he likes the corn fairy fan. And I, and I was like, uh, all right, well, this is. I mean, if, if Charles Barkley knows who I am, that's that's really cool. Kind of amazing we've gone this far without discussing maybe the most obvious difference between life outside the PGA Tour and life on the PGA Tour. Money. Yes, of course, you make more. We'll get to that in a second. But you also spend more, like way more. Let's go back to our friend Matt Neesmith. I remember kids telling me when you got on the PGA Tour, I'd come home before I went to Greenbrier and I was, and he was like, hey man, congrats for getting on the PGA Tour better get that credit card limit up <laughs> it's just like he was like i was like i was like really he's like yeah man you'll never spend more money than playing on the pga tour like the corn fairies the corn fairy you spend a lot of money but you also have you also aren't going to places that are you're not going to cancun you're not going to napa valley you're not going to san francisco or pebble beach or all these places that are extremely expensive to play and just stay and do things for a week so um and you gotta you gotta pay your caddy you've gotta pay your caddy more too i think correct yeah you gotta pay your caddy more and with that comes i mean bigger deals your agents your agents get more money from from the deals that they bring to the table because you're getting paid more your agents uh you got your swing coaches that are going to make more money i mean but i'm not afraid to i'm not afraid to turn over every rock to try and get better so when it comes to when it comes to coaches and things like that, I I, I, don't, I don't care if it's going to make me play if it's going to help me play better and feel better about it. I don't it doesn't bother me one bit. As the old saying goes, you've got to spend money to make money, and there's a ton more of it to be made on the PGA Tour. In 2019, the last normal Corn Ferry Tour season, the average Corn Ferry Tour player made fifty six thousand eight hundred and thirteen dollars. And remember, that's before taxes and paying your caddy paying for flights, hotels, rental cars. It's not exactly models and bottles. That same year, the average PGA Tour player made $1,225,318, which is more than 21 times the Corn Ferry average. It's a huge, it's a huge difference. I mean, I remember getting that, getting the, getting a text message from the tour that I had made $75,000 for finishing 18th at, uh, at Vegas. And I was like, whoa like that's all i made last year on the corn ferry besides my my win like it was it was very very different there's an old saying in pro golf circles that the hardest part about playing on the pga tour is getting on the pga tour 
You see it all the time. Guys who played on the mini tours for years, they get their break, and all of a sudden they're PGA Tour veterans. Joel Damon went that route. So did Lonto Griffin, Zach Johnson, Kevin Streelman. There are countless others. If you think about it, it's a numbers game. There are thousands of guys trying to get onto the Corn Ferry Tour. There are 200 plus guys on the Corn Ferry Tour fighting for 25 spots to get promoted. But on the PGA Tour, there are only 225 guys who really play events and 125 of those make the FedEx Cup playoffs and keep their cards with full status. And with full status, you'll get 25 tournaments to play good golf. Not having the make or break pressure of knowing this might be your last start, that's hugely freeing. It's good work if you can get it. And if you can get over that oh shit moment. And my last question is, there's kind of this axiom in golf that the hardest part about playing on the PGA Tour is is, is getting on the PGA Tour. Do, do you feel like that's true? Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, it's obviously hard to keep your card and keep and keep playing on the PGA Tour, but there's so much more access. You have all, you, everything's right there for you. You have to, I remember, I remember that was the first thing that Jason Day told me when I played in the, in the U S open was, Hey man, you just got to get out here. It's a lot easier to keep it than it is, than it is to get it. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried with editorial guidance from Sam Weinman. The music for today's episode is called Lobo Lobo, and it's by Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Local Knowledge, download the episodes, that's really important, and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.